0: Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic, an Aston Villa podcast where Greg Evans and myself talk about the latest news coming out of Villa Park. Coming up on today's show, we talk about a great international break so far for Jack Grealish and look at Michael Cox's piece today at The Athletic that states you cannot build an England side around Jack Grealish. Also, two starts for Tyro Mings for England as well. We look at his role for the national side before Super Jackie Grealish. There was Super Tommy Johnson. We catch up with the former Claret and Blue Colt hero, and finally, we'll also look ahead to the Brighton game. An actual three o'clock on Saturday kickoff. We'll look ahead to that at Villa Park. Greg Evans joins me as ever. Greg, in the midst of some lockdown annual leave, I've got to say, your your timing's been excellent throughout with annual leave this season. (laughs) Yes, there's no
1: real right time to have a week off at the moment. It's quite strange. Um, I thought, Let's have a week off in the international break and the Masters was on. So it was a little bit more enjoyable than I hoped, but still a bit boring, isn't it, with this lockdown?
0: Yeah, I'm sure you'd have liked to have been on the golf course as well. But unfortunately, the way the world is, you cannot do that. But Jack Grealish's world must be be pretty good at, at the moment. A good display against Ireland, where I would say he was probably the most effective player without being his best. But then a real statement performance against Belgium on Sunday, Greg.
1: Yeah, I think, I suppose that's the biggest, probably the biggest compliment you can give him now that even when he's not at his best, which he wasn't against Ireland, he still very much makes an impact on the game, doesn't he? Uh, now, I know Ireland are a very struggling side at the moment, so yeah, it's probably time. one of the easiest games that he'll feature in this season, um, you know, certainly for club or country, but the performance against Belgium really stood out, I thought he was exceptional uh, and rightly so that everybody's now talking about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an excellent display, particularly the, the second half. I thought he really came alive and just showed everything that, he, that he's all about. I mean, it's been all over Twitter since, but that, that little flick that he did running onto the ball was just majestic and just sums him up really at the moment he, he's full of confidence he's a dangerous player anyway but just how much more dangerous is he when he's full of confidence like he is at the moment oh yeah totally I mean,
1: jamie carrigan was getting very excited about that yeah, particular was. flick wasn't he in uh, in commentary and i think it was just a statement performance it was look we we watch him every week don't we we know that he's got that in his locker we know that he's good enough um but the rest of the world or the rest of the nation al- almost know what he's about now um I like the way that he's just so fearless now. He seems to be driving at defenders uh, in in a completely different way than he was previously. And and he seems to have got even stronger. You know, the way he brushed Hector Bellerin off the ball against Arsenal. And it was like that in some of the uh, challenges that he was up against in the Ireland and Belgium game as well. It feels like he's taking his game onto a a new level now. And and I think also he's taken a little bit of the constructive criticism on board as well. You know, Graham Souness was particularly scathing of him, I think, um, You know, when, when he said that he doesn't release the ball quick enough. I, you know, I thought that was a little bit harsh, but it does feel like watching his game now that that Grealish has taken that on board a bit because he doesn't hold on to the ball as long as he maybe used to.
0: Yeah, and Gareth Southgate has... I mean, Villa fans have obviously got a bit of a problem with Southgate. I can see why why that is. I mean, me personally, I, I like Southgate. Got got nothing against him, but you look around to the interviews that were in the last few international camps and the interview that Southgate did after this Belgium game, talking about how he's moved at the pecking order and how much of a good game he had. That's got to be positive because Southgate now, it feels like he, he kind of has to play him.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you, you, can't, you can't avoid him forever, can you? If he's continually playing well for his club, putting in the kind of performances um for his club in training uh, and you know some of the some of the England players came out this week and said how impressed they were with Jack Grealish didn't they so that's clearly a sign that his teammates rate him very highly um, and the coaches as well as Gareth Southgate will be watching on and you know that they can see that this is a player really at the peak of his powers at the moment so he should be playing and um admittedly yeah he had to go and do it against one of the better nations and you know what better nation to do it against than Belgium who are ranked number one in the world so there's nothing really else that that southgate could have said is it you know if, if if he'd have said anything different you would have been really questioning you know he what what he was going on about because everybody in the everybody who watched the game could see that that Greeley was the best player on the pitch on the day
0: yeah, and at the time of filming this podcast, it sounds like he, he may get another start against Iceland as well, which is it's a far cry from the last international break where he got that one appearance and then we didn't see him again. For him to start all three games again, that's a big statement and it's a credit to Jack for how well he's done, isn't it?
1: Yeah, look, it's great for Grealish. He'll, he'll love that. You know, He wants to be a part of every single game. Um, you know, The real competitive games are the most important ones, of course, uh, but he, he wants to be playing every England game possible and, and he backs himself to, to be able to recover quickly enough to play in all the games for, for club and country. Um, you know, there will certainly be some Villa fans hoping that England would just wrap him and Tyrone Mil- Mings up in, in cotton wool at the moment because the pair of them have both done it for the country, really. They both perform quite well. Um, you know, they're, they're almost not necessarily needed to make an impact against Iceland and and some Villa fans will have their eye on Saturday's game against Brighton. But, um, you know, the two of them are very fit boys. that They'll back themselves to to recover in time Um, and and let's hope if they do both feature then then they they do the nation proud again.
0: Yeah, I just want to ask you something. I'm sure you won't have the answer to this. It's it's, it's an opinion-based question more than anything, but if we look back to a year ago, I mean, we were doing it, all the Villa fans were doing it, we were clamouring that Jack got an international call-up and to be fair, I think probably a year ago he should have had a call-up. But do you think if he hadn't got that call up a year ago, do you think we'd have been seeing that the level of performance that we're seeing now in an England shirt from him? Mm, probably not. I, I think he's taking his game onto
1: a new level. I mean, it's the way he drives at defenders now. And he, he wasn't doing that as as effectively twelve to eighteen months ago. Um and he's playing with so much confidence as well, you know, the goals and the assists for, for Villa last uh the back end of last season and 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 the start of this season mean that he's just full of full of life full of confidence and, and yeah, nothing's phasing him so i think when you've got a player at that at that level that's how they go on and perform well and probably not a year ago to be honest i mean where, where were we at a year ago we were looking at probably it was around about the arsenal game wasn't it arsenal losing to arsenal was that september october and it was even later wasn't
0: it i remember us losing to man city in november we lost to Man City 3-0 where he was quite good in the first half. I think it was 0-0 nil, nil at half-time and then Villa chucked it away straight after, after half-time as, as they did quite often with, with things last season. But I think you're right in that we thought his level was high then, but his level now is just on a, on a different scale. Every time you think he doesn't have another level to go, he's, he's hit his peak. He, he finds something else and it's frightening to think that he could actually go up a few more levels really, isn't it? With the now the experience he's getting on the international scene and taking on the best in the world. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the people
1: that watch Villa would have watched those two games against um, Ireland and Belgium and thought that was Jack playing well, but he wasn't at his best, was he? I mean, we know there's another gear in him there. He's played better than he did um, in the two games for Villa. So that's what's even more scary and opponents watching on won't like to hear that. And but I, think, I do think the biggest the biggest compliment for him is that he's continually improving, isn't he? You know, every season he seems to be getting better and better. And um, you do just wonder how far he can go now.
0: Yeah, because something that was levelled at him, certainly in the Championship, probably not as much so since Villa have returned to the Premier League, was his, his goal and assist output. And Southgate spoke about his goal and assist output as well. And when Jack was interviewed after the game, he was talking himself about he didn't get any goals or assists. That seems to be a real driver for him now, doesn't it? The fact that he wants productivity, he wants to see his name on the stat sheets for goals and assists.
1: Yeah, he's really motivated by that. Um, I think he shoots on sight now, whereas before he used to take one too many touches. Um, I mean, you you could probably argue that that the Leeds game, he, he didn't shoot you know, sooner um, when he had that mazy run from the halfway line. But I think in general now he gets his shots off quite quicker. Um, and that's why we're seeing an upturn in his fortunes in the in the amount of goals that he scores. I always thought the assists tally was a little bit unfair because I generally felt that most um, Villa goals came through him anyway. Yeah. So even if it wasn't him with the last pass, you um, you know, it, it was pretty much him creating the goal anyway. So I always felt that was a little bit harsh and unfair. But, you know, the, the, the statistics don't lie. He's got four goals and five assists this season. And as we've been saying for a couple of weeks now, there's probably no attacker in better form
0: than him at the moment. De Bruyne has been the standout player in the Premier League for years, but I don't know whether you saw they had a, a little chat after the game and, and swapped shirts. And I think that's a big testament to Jack of how well he did, that um, England, sorry, have gone to Belgium, lost, But Kevin De Bruyne isn't the player that everyone's talking about. Literally everyone, even the Belgians, are are talking about Jack. And I think that's a Kevin De Bruyne is is, is here. I think that's a massive thing. And that's, again, something that will give him even more of a confidence boost, not that he needs it at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. It was, a, it was a nice little moment after the game, the two of them swapping shirts because you looked at them and you thought, well, that's what that's what Grealish is aspiring to be like, you know, Kevin De Bruyne on, on a regular basis. And on the night, he was better than Kevin De Bruyne. I still yeah. think he's got a little bit of time to go before he, we can say that he's at that level. Um, it was one wonderful pass with the outside of his right boot, wasn't it? That um, found one of his teammates, De Bruyne. And Grealish is, is not going to be that type of player that, that picks out those spectacular passes um, as often as De Bruyne. But he's certainly got qualities that, that De Bruyne would be looking at and thinking, you know, I'd love to have that that ball-carrying ability, the way he just dazzles past players and, and, and holds opponents off. I think Grealish does that better than probably anyone in the Premier League at the moment. So yeah, it was, it was a nice little moment seeing the two of them. And uh, I mean, you wonder what the two of them would look like if they were ever in the same team. It'd be quite frightening.
0: I mean, I don't think Villa are going to sign De Bruyne, Greg, so I think that's a, you're going to have to wait a while to, to see that, to see that one. I think, I mean, we we teased it a little bit last week. I just want to know your, your final word on it, on it really. And is he world-class? Because I think he is now. I think that performance has summed it up for me. I think he's world-class.
1: Look, I, I describe him as world-class, but I say that Jack Grealish is world-class, but he, Totally, it's this age-old debate, isn't it, of what is world-class? You know, it's how you define world-class. Somebody tweeted me when when I put out a tweet saying that Jack Grealish is world-class. And one of the replies I got was, does that mean that Jack Grealish is the best player in the world in his position? Now, that's just the way that that guy who replied to me, Defines world class, and yeah. it just defi- it just depends how you you define the statement, doesn't it? I just think he's at the level now where he would improve any squad in world football. I think he's probably pushing to get into any team in world football now. I think that in, in his form, you know, every team would be looking at him thinking. Uh, we'd have it, we'd have that player in in our squad at least and and most probably the team so that's just why I'm I'm dis- defining and describing him as world class right now
0: I mean I look at it at teams like Barcelona and Madrid at the moment I think he probably gets in in their team which is is an unbelievable thing to say when you think about a few years ago Jack Grealish was playing in the championship for Villa at, at times a struggling Aston Villa and he, he's come on leaps and bounds I mean I don't, I don't know if you've if you've seen it this morning I think you probably have the Michael Cox piece about England building a team around Jack Grealish now when I saw that title and the opening I was like I was getting ready to hate that article I'm I'm going to be (laughs) honest I I like Michael Cox but I was thinking I'm just I'm not having this before I've even started but reading through it I actually thought what what he said was very fair that the the best teams in the world they don't build their team around one player I think a more suitable question for, for us to be asking is England need to find a system that gets Jack Grealish into that team every single international game and Rashford and Sterling and Kane because of that 5-2-3 formation doesn't do that and personally I don't think the 5-2-3 is working
1: yeah I mean
0: look it it was
1: a really thought-provoking piece actually for Michael and me and Michael both went to interview Jack last year and and Michael absolutely loved his personality, you know, because he'd never he'd never spent time around him before. And sure. um, he loved the fact that he was so open and honest about his career so far, um, and about the aspirations that he had for his future. So it's it's certainly not a piece knocking Greatish in the story uh story. He's, no, no, he he's wasn't just saying, yeah, I mean he's just saying basically that England need um England shouldn't have to need to build a team around an individual anymore in this day and age. You know, we should simply let Jack Grealish be brilliant, but also try and find other brilliance around him too. And I I agree with that. I mean, I think all the best teams in the world, and and, and there were some that he mentioned of years gone by. You know, Germany and France and Spain of years gone by. um, They've they've fitted that they haven't had to fit players into positions. They've they've played their best players in their best suited positions. And if and if there were too many players in one position, they didn't play them. I mean, you know, I, I always go back to the classic case of, of ces Fabregas with Spain. I mean, it's, it's an exactly ex- example I use all the time. In, in, in things like this. And Fabregas was absolutely brilliant at the time, yet he couldn't get in the Spain squad, could he? He couldn't get in the Spain team, could he? Because there were so many brilliant other brilliant players ahead of him. But if you think if that was England, like we used to do with Paul Scholes, where we put him out on the left, Spain just didn't do that. They just they realised that they had good quality central midfielders, so they're not going to play Cesc Fabregas. Whereas England... We, we just had to make the decision play Paul Scholes in the central midfield or don't play him at all. And, you know, because there are other players better than him, if that was the case. But with Grealish, it just feels like I'd play him every week. Look, you know that, Dan. I'd have him in every important English ga- uh, England game. He's in my starting 11. But I don't see why we can't have a couple of wingers, either Sancho or Sterling and Rashford, two out of the three, uh, either side of him. And then um, Kane up front. You know, as, as with Jack as the number 10, I, I don't see why that isn't an, an issue. And and the whole building a team around someone, Look, it's 2020 now, for a team to be successful, there needs to be brilliance all around the team.
0: Yeah, you see, I think Rashford, Sterling, they, they have to play. Obviously, Kane has to play as well. So if you're staying with that 5-2-3 that, that Southgate seems to like at the moment, and for me, it's not working, but that's a story for a different day, for a different podcast, but... Jack then doesn't get in the team because he isn't going to play as one of the two holding players. So it, it is a difficult one. But I think we, hopefully now we, we've got to do something in this country to change the formation and, and get get those players in. Because I don't think 5-2-3 is working. And I think Jack has to play. But on the flip side of that, the three at the back actually is a big benefit to one of our, our other players in, in Tyro Mings. He started both games so far on the outside left of, of a back three. And I think if he is three at the back, I think that gets Mings in the team for the Euros. Yeah, I think so. Now I think certainly with, with Joe Gomez's injury,
1: if there's you know if, if Gomez doesn't make the Euros and, and and it's not looking great for him, um, you know don't know the the exact severity of, of his injury, but he's going to be out for a while. Then yeah, Mings Mings looks like a, a very realistic option in that in that back three. I still think Conor Cody would be the perfect middleman for for the three of them um you know he's mastered that think? role at yeah i think i think just because he's mastered that role at wolves you know i'm very much for playing players who as i said just you know who are excelling in their position and cody has been in that 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 back three uh, for wolves now for a long time and do, and doing very well. The one thing that Mings has has over him as an advantage is that he's much better in the air. Cody often struggles in the air, whereas Mings is very dominant, as we all know. Um, again, you know, I, I, if it was me selecting the team, I would have Mings in there. I like his style. You know, he's comfortable on the ball. He mops it up well. And he leads by example, you know. I love the way that he he sort of you know, gets everyone going, and 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 um, he's the the real driving force with, with his with his voice. But I'm um, you know I'm very conscious of Southgate has other ideas, and there are other options as well.
0: Yeah, I think one massive advantage that Mings has over the other centre-backs in the the England fold is that just simply the fact he's left-footed. If I'm picking a football team, if you're playing three at the back, the guy on the left-hand side of the back three, for me, has to be left-footed. It doesn't work any other way.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, we're so short on uh, left-footers, aren't we? The the game before the Ireland game. Uh, I think it was the Belgian game England played b- before that was it or Belgium or Denmark was it? I remember looking down the squad or the team and I don't think there was a left footer in the in the starting lineup and I no, thought, worrying. I mean, it's just amazing how have we not got a left footer in in the England starting eleven? Uh, it was incredible. I mean, th- there might have been one, but you know, if, if you know, one or zero. Well, no, that I was, think you're right. I don't think there was. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? So, yeah, that does work in Ming's favour. Um, he's obviously played as a left-back in, in previous years as well at, at, at some of his former clubs. If injuries continue, his Villa team mate, Esri Konza, might squeeze away in there if he continues performing the way he does. Um, and, and I totally get your point with the, with the left foot and right foot. You know, Dean Smith's very big on that. He hates playing two defenders with the same foot. You know, he wants one with the left foot, one with the right foot. And that's why it's working quite well for Villa at the moment, I think.
0: Yeah, I think Conte's got a chance. I think that's a, a valid point that you've come up with there as well because he's he's gone the route that the England set-ups seem to like and that he's played for England in the, in the younger ages and Southgate seems to favour that, doesn't he? He likes a player that, that's come through the ranks playing all the different levels for England and Conte's played in tournaments for the under-21s, I think, as well. So I think he, he holds an advantage in trying to get in the squad because of that and the fact that Villa are defending well in general and Villa are a good side in the Premier League as well. If you had to put money on it, who would you think would be the next Villa player to get an England call-up?
1: Oh. Um I think he's probably got Biconter, hasn't it? There aren't many other options. Um I've written a piece on on Matt Cash for uh yeah, for, for, for Wednesday, it's published on Wednesday. And yeah you know I, I, i've spoken very highly of how well he's performed this season but if you look at the english right backs that he's got to beat he's currently got Kyle Walker Trent Alexander-Arnold Reece James Aaron Wan-Bissaka oh, James yeah, Justin and Kyle Walker beaters you know that's six defenders that are all sort of in the reckoning um and and you just think that you know there's not really room for another one in especially when Wan-Bissaka can't even get in the the squad so i think if you know i think if you if you ask me who's who's got the best chance it's probably going to be Conza, just because of the fact that Villa are defending very well um, at the moment there's not too many other options at centre back and, and there's a couple of injuries at present um, and you know as you say Conza has come through that, that route of, of playing for the younger younger age groups and, and building his way up and look you know he, he seems to be developing very well doesn't he he's, he's now a year and a half in the Premier League and seems to be getting better every week so that's a good sign and he's very young still
0: yeah shorter left backs as well I think Matt Target's on good form at the moment you've alluded to the, the lack of left footers I think Ross Barkley will be looking to, to force his way in back into the England setup as well he was a regular starter under Southgate last season as well and then you've got, you've got Watkins banging in the goals as well although I think there's a few players ahead of him in the pecking order at the moment it's, it's exciting there could be a few Villa players in the next England squad
1: yeah, it is very exciting. I think Barkley's also another one um, who, who's certainly got a chance. I mean, that's the, the the not the sole reason, but one of the major reasons that he moved from Chelsea to Villa for this season, because he wanted to play regularly and get back into the Euro squad. So um, if he continues play, linking up well with Grealish, then he's got a very good chance as
0: well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Now we've got time for something a little bit different. Greg and myself caught up with former Villa forward Tommy Johnson a, a few weeks ago. Someone who personally I'd wanted to talk to for ages and I utilised the name of The Athletic to get that through the door. Greg, good interview, wasn't it? Good to speak to Tommy.
1: Yeah, really nice guy. He's obviously still in football with Blackpool as the head of recruitment. Um, and he loved his playing days at Villa and Celtic. So it was great to hear from
0: from him about some of his memories. Brilliant chat. And I started off by asking him about an eventful postseason trip to the Caribbean. I think it was part of the deal which the uh, Yorkie. When Yorkie signed that
2: we had to go over uh, and play in Trinidad and Tobago and then to Barbados. We had to play a couple of games, obviously, but, you know, being end of season and we're a bit worse for wear, So I think we are out one, <laughs> one night <laughs> and uh, we are walking home with the uh, after God knows how many bottles of carib, which was the local brew over there. And then uh, I think Tails got chased. Someone was trying to mug him. And then he pulled his hamstring while he was doing it so he couldn't play in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's actually mentioning this to you, but oh, it was hilarious. And then on the morning, I think we were leaving. What was it? It was worse for wear. We were, I think we were leaving either to come home or to fly to Trinidad or something. and. Uh, yeah. He had his sunglasses on. I think it was seven o'clock in the morning walking through the hotel with his cap on backwards and his uh, sunglasses on just to hide, hide the bags under his eyes because he'd been out all night. But <laughs> well, The hamstring one's hilarious because he said he was just trying to run away from this bloke and he was going to mug him. But, and then he just tore his hamstring. I don't think the gaffer was too impressed.
1: Yeah, I was just saying, I mean, there must be endless stories like that, Tommy. I presume you could have got away with quite a lot more things than probably you could do now you know with oh, social definitely. media and yeah. everyone having a, a video camera
2: it is totally different but that's football nowadays that was they were probably worse in the era before me for drinking yeah. and going out you know and it carried on in our era but that was the normal greg it wasn't we, we weren't doing anything out of turn but that was just the way football was at that time you'd you'd play football and then you'd go in the players bar and have a drink and then go out Know, whether were you misses or whether you were going out with the lads, and then and then more often than not, you probably have a few Sunday dinner as well. But uh, yeah, but nowadays it's that's not the norm, so we wouldn't do it. If we were playing now, we wouldn't do it. But, you know, there's that's the way football is now. There's no drinking and and all that. You just there'd, there'd be no drink in the players' bar. I wouldn't imagine players go in the players' bar now with a players' lounge or whatever you want to call it. Probably have a family room uh mm. without drinking i think yeah, yeah totally but yeah. as i said that that's no that's that's the way football's gone and as i said if we were starting out now we we'd be exactly the same so mm. but it was just the way it was in, in when we played the lads young lads ask you know what was it like in your day and we tell them and they would be like they'd be stunned you know as i said oh, the odd time we used to come in on a monday morning didn't know whether it was monday friday thursday saturday night or whatever you know what i mean because we've been out on the sunday but what i'd say to young players now it's a short career and they can earn um we earn good money don't get me wrong but they can earn an unbel- un- unbelievable about the money now and be and be secure with one contract i always remember the gaffer pulling me in once and said you know it because i was struggling at first and he was like what well, you know, this is a big move for you. It's a big, you know, you knuckle down and all that. And he was right. They paid a lot of money for us and they want to return. So my advice to youngsters now is, is don't waste it. Don't waste your Don't waste the talent that you've got and, and respect your elders and, you know, have a good attitude. If you've got a good attitude, you're, you're halfway there. I wasn't blessed with a best skill in the world. But, you know, I like to think I worked hard and had a good attitude. We're finding it now with Blackpool, trying to sign players who have been in the championship in the Premier League, on astronomical amounts of money, but in coming down to League One and, and having the realisation now that they're not going to be making as much money as they did in the past.
0: That League cup win, Tommy, in 1996, can you, can, can you believe that's the last time Villa won a trophy still?
2: Unbelievable it is, yeah. I was at Celtic when they played Chelsea, was that in the FA Cup? Yeah, I 2000. Think. I can't remember, was that 2000? Yeah, because I remember yeah. watching it, we had a, a, I was at Celtic and we, I was in the green room just running in, and out, running in and out before we were going out to play to watch it. So I can remember that vividly. But yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to win a cup. As I mentioned before, you've only got probably six teams. So we're gonna win the league now, apart from obviously the Leicester when they won it. And the cup is the best chance to, to win some, to win some silver, silverware, and I think it, and it helps when you can qualify for Europe as well, which we did via that. But there's no better feeling, you know. I know the clubs change the squads now, you know, for cup games and all that, and you can see why because the money so to stay in the Premier League is so much and so vast that that's their priority. Which, but. You know there's no better feeling you know going out to Wembley and you know that's the two three seasons i was there you know semi-final of the FA Cup and then winning the league cup as well you know it's uh people still talk about it now you know i was fortunate obviously when i went to Celtic to win league titles and trebles and cups and that as well but for most players they don't they don't win anything you know win any trophies they can have all the money in they want but you know i was never money orientated but you know, I've got me like for example, England Caps under twenty-one caps and my me medals from from when I've played and you could give me as much money as you want, it doesn't matter, you know. I've got the trophies there to show and the medals to show for it. But that season was brilliant, the League Cup, you know, we uh, the semi final games against Arsenal were um but especially the one at Tiber was unbelievable, you know. Two nil two nil down after twenty minutes, Burkham's cause an absolute havoc. And then you know, we just got back in the game and you know, we got us back into the game. It was it was a ding-dong battle, you know. It was uh, cutting through us end-to-end. Great goals and a great game, you know. And, and that was a good Arsenal team at the time. You know, bones about it. And they were probably favourites to beat us. But uh, we held out at nil-nil. I think it was nil-nil at home. And, you know, we got through to the final. And, you know, the whole week leading up to the final was brilliant, you know, doing interviews, you know. I was fortunate. I got injured at Ipswich six weeks before. I tore my thigh muscle and uh, I was just desperate to get fit for the final and I trained the day before. That was my first training session. Oh, really? And Yeah. I So I was, it was touch and go whether I would make it. And the gaffer, I think we had three subs at the time and the gaffer put us on the bench, which was brilliant. I still hammer him now for not <laughs> putting us on, to be honest, you know, because we're 3-0 up and I think we're not going to lose it now so that's my only gripe with a gaffer <laughs> but i was delighted like I, I was on the bench you know and in the in the celebrations after uh we stayed in london all the families and friends were in a hotel and then not forgetting we've got an fa cup semi-final a week later so and you yeah. go back to the drinking culture oh god we were absolutely hammered rightly so you know with the celebrations uh but then you forget we play in liverpool a week later at old trafford in the semi-final
0: is that why we were 3-0 down quite, quite early doors in that game? Because of the think celebrations? Robbie,
2: I, I think Robbie Fowler might have had something to do with that. Not the way <laughs> we played. <laughs> no. Yeah. no, they were just the better team on the day, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So that was definitely a good time. We're going to move to a, a sad time now, something that really upset a 12-year-old Dan Bardell. It's that time when you left the club, Tommy. And I don't think I've ever spent time with Brian Lille and not mentioned him selling you. So we've got a little audio clip here of him talking about why he let you go. I actually think transfers have been a problem since 1997 when you sold Tommy Johnson. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Discuss. <laughs> I'm going to step away. Tommy
3: Johnson is probably my my favourite, well, one of my favourite footballers of all time. Um, and I owed it to him. To be playing football regularly and i've said this to you before yeah. when i got a call off celtic it, uh, and it was like i think it was one o'clock in the morning i don't know whether the manager had been out and, and just got in and thought right i'm ringing brian but, but i was fast asleep in bed in all honesty and i'm going yeah yeah and 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 and. It, but straight away as soon as it came through i thought i've got to speak to tommy i owe it to him you know he was brilliant for me um he, he Despite, and he played a lot of games, but, but a lot of the times I would play with the three midfield players. So, you know, a Draper Townsend and, and Taylor combination. Um, but whenever Tommy played, he was, he was brilliant. And whenever Tommy went on, he was brilliant. Obviously, after he'd been sick in the corner, he was brilliant, but he was a nervous wreck. But he was a great lad, and I owed it to him. And when it was Celtic, I, I knew that was the call, that I've got to speak to Tommy If it's right for him and he wants to do it, I've got to let him do it. And sometimes, again, going back, going back 20 odd years now, the only place for players was to be in the first team you know there wasn't the big squads that there is today and they weren't they weren't all in a position where they were happy at that a lot of mentality has been changed over the last 20 years with youngsters being developed and learning that if they don't play today it's because they it's best them having a rest and all sorts of different things. there's lots of mentality things that have made the modern day player different but in that era. You know, from a personal point of view, if I had 15 players and I could have played like Ron Saunders had his squad of 14 or 13, or if I could have had 14, 15 players that I, that I knew I could keep happy every week, I would have happily stayed down that route. But it's but it's a mentality change now. So they're happy to have 20, 22, 24 players who are first-team players. Then it was Tommy Johnson needed to play and I owed him that. And I'm not answering it again.
0: <laughs> what do you make of that, Tommy?
2: As I said before, you know, I hold it. Gaffling the highest respect, you know, I still speak to him quite often and obviously not at the minute can't see him as much because of the COVID and going down to sea Villa but it's uh, yeah, it's great to hear what he's got to say, you know, and we've had this conversation many times, I think I didn't realise he liked me so much, you know, until after we finished, uh, until I'd left, honestly. Uh, but yeah, we had that relationship, you know, coming from the North East and, you know, it's signed us, paid a lot of money for him and uh, I think he just like what I, I, as he said, I wasn't the, I wasn't going to be playing all the time. But when I did, I give hundred percent him, which I always did. But the funny thing is, uh, when the gaffer rang, is I was at home and we lived about half an hour from each other, and I went over with my agent. He hasn't mentioned that, and we sat in his house just talking for hours, and he always said he and and he said in his interview, he says I had to tell you you know, out of respect for you because I love you so much and what you've done for us and all that. And he, uh, so we just sat down for hours and I was talking football. He says, I don't want you to go, but as you've heard, you know, I've got to tell yourself, Celtic, a massive club. It's up to you. It's down to you. If you want to stay here, you can stay here. Uh, I'll give you a new contract and all that. But, you know, once I'd heard, Celtic win for us, you know, I just had to, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life, you know, uh, and that's no disrespect to Aston Villa. Uh, I wanted to play regular, and the gaffer's right, it is different nowadays, but the respect I've got from first and foremost signing us, you know, wanting us to be part of his team, and then Actually, ringing us up at home and saying, "Come on, I need to speak to you about something." I thought, "Oh my God, what have I done now, Gaffer?" You know what I mean? <laughs> Come round to me house, I think, oh, it was like being in going to the headmaster's office. I thought I'd done something wrong. I said, "Oh, I'm sure I've been all right." And when I went round, we just sat down and talked. as I said, "Talk football," and and it was a decision that, that I made. And in the end, it turned all right when we started a career. But I, I think, i would, yeah, I would definitely would have regretted that if I hadn't have gone to Celtic. Uh, as I've already said, I loved my time in Villa. I wasn't a regular and as you, as the gaffers said and we've just mentioned, you want to play football. All I ever wanted to do was play football, you know, and, and it wasn't going to be happening on a regular basis at Villa. Uh, it was a decision, a massive decision for us. There wasn't many teams I would have left Villa at that particular time to go to, and unfortunately, Celtic was one of them where I, I had to make that decision, and, you know, it was the right decision.
0: Well, it's been great to talk to you today, Tommy, as I say, that, that decision left me very upset, but you've made up for it today <laughs> by talking to us. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I, it's all right, mate. I was given a derogatory nickname to call you by Tails as well, but I've said no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh,
2: I've God, Carrot. That's what they used to cause. It's probably something else. He
0: wanted to say milk bottle said hello was what he wanted to say. (laughs) That's
2: because of my lovely tan.
0: (laughs) I thought it might be something to do with that, Tommy, but
2: all the best. Thank you, Dan. Been a pleasure. Thank you for some great memories as well and uh, I hope they'll have a great season.
4: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: I'll tell you what, I've given Brian Little some stick over the years, Greg, when when I've seen him about Tommy Johnson, he he upset me a lot as a youngster. I think that may be one of the first times I cried as a Villa fan when when a player left, actually. (laughs) Really, Dan? Has there been many others since then? I think there was a, there was a few years in a row when when players kept leaving, wasn't it? I remember Stornson <laughs> going in one one summer, then York went the same. ended up going the, the same summer, I think as well, and then Bosnich the summer after. So there was a, a time when a young Dan Bardell was very upset. But over the years, you get used to the, to the heartache, don't you? And I'm I'm more than used to players leaving now. Although obviously we were getting ready for Jack to leave, and that didn't happen. So yeah, the tears have been held off for a few more years. Hopefully, let's look forward to the Brighton game now. Now they've got to a difficult start, Brian. Every time I watch them. I'm impressed by them, but their points tally is pretty mediocre so far, Greg.
1: Yeah, they're quite easy on the eye, aren't they? But as you say, it's been a difficult start for them. I've seen a couple of their games. I watched the the, the, the close defeat to Man United where... Oh, they should have won that game. Yeah, I think the the woodwork three or four times, um, yeah. you know, and, and United got a couple of late goals. So, look, they've been beaten by the bigger boys, Chelsea, United, Everton, I think as well. Um But they have been a little bit unlucky. They just need to start taking their chances, really. And I think they'll be all right from there. There's certainly worse teams in the division than them. Um, But if you're Villa, you're looking at this game now thinking, if you're really serious about finishing in the top half, it's a game that Villa have to go and win.
0: Yeah, it's a massive chance to get consecutive victories and build some momentum again because you did kind of feel like we lost a bit of momentum with the two defeats even though we still had an excellent start but to get another run of consecutive victories would be massive and it just would stabilise us really in and around the top six which, which is massive even at this stage of the season. Yeah, it's mad really that we're,
1: that we're saying that, isn't it? You know, stabilising around the top six because it, it, it's it's... I think we're still getting a little bit carried away because it's not a, an in house expectation to, to finish in the top six, even though Villa are there now and potentially could go top of the league if Chelsea don't win on um, in the early game on Saturday. And then Villa go and beat Brighton. They'll go top of the league, which will be, you know, it, it might only be for a short period, but it'll be an incredible achievement after eight games um, and with a game in hand. So I think we've still got to. At this point in time, because it's still very early into the season, we've still got to just remain a little bit grounded, not get too carried away. Um, a quick look down the run-up towards Christmas, it looks very favourable for Villa. Um, but unfortunately, that's where the troubles begin, isn't it? You know, Villa must not expect to beat the so-called lesser lights in the division just because they've seen off some of the bigger boys. Um, I think they just need to remain grounded. I know it's a very, very boring cliche but just literally take each game as it comes um, and not become almost the Wolves of last season who were exceptional against the big boys but then struggled against some of the lower teams. Um, now, I know Villa have obviously beaten Sheffield United and Fulham already but the defeats to Leeds and Southampton maybe just put things into perspective a little bit. I think I do really think this game against Brighton will, will give us a good clear indication of where Villa are and and if they do win... Um, it would just take them nicely into the next few games and then maybe towards Christmas time, we we could we can start getting a little bit excited if the results continue.
0: Yeah, I mean, the it's, it's fact we're even talking about it, it is massive. I felt in a good place going into the, into the start of the season, but I've got to be honest, I never expected a start like this. I wasn't expecting to absolutely trounce Liverpool. I wasn't expecting to rock up at the Emirates and win 3-0. So it's been an amazing start. You should be on the football cliches podcast. To be fair, with some of the, some of the stuff you, you've said there, but you, but you're right. You do have to you do have to take each each game as it comes. And Brighton and West Ham are, are two very winnable games. Just looking ahead to the next seven to ten days, and Villa, Villa can win both of them. They really are in an excellent position. And then you do start thinking about dreaming and maybe expectations within the club even itself. Maybe they change, don't they, Greg? Yeah, well, yeah.
1: I mean, look, you know, if they win the next two games, that's that's seven wins out of nine. I mean, you know, it's almost bloody title contending for them, isn't it? It's, in, it's incredible, really. But um, yeah, I, ju- I just think I just think Villa fans, and, you know, and, and the team need to remain grounded because that's when the troubles can start to creep into you know creep into things. Because um, it's been a great start, but it's so easy to lose a couple of games in the Premier League. I think the biggest, um, the most impressive thing about about Villa this season is, is going and winning that game at Arsenal because if they'd have lost three on the bounce you then start to worry don't you you start to think well when is this losing streak going to end and I think that was a real um, a really really important performance not just because they beat Arsenal who are still recognised as an elite team but the fact that they got back to winning ways and yeah if they can if they can put a couple of, of wins together then yeah who, who who knows how far they can go
0: yeah I mean obviously we've talked about international football a fair bit in in this podcast some Villa f- fans want Villa players to, to not play for their countries because they want them to be fresh for Villa. Me, personally, I like it if our players are getting recognition because it, it means they're doing well. But what do you make of all this all this COVID stuff now? Because obviously players are coming back from international duty. I think I think Doherty has come back and has, has got COVID, I think I've just seen on social media. like Players are coming back from international duty. Salah's picked up COVID as well. Like... Fingers crossed, Villa don't have any issues like that going into the Brighton game. You're just hoping for the best, aren't you? Hoping that
1: none of the players contract this this horrible virus. Um, I mean, with the protocols in place, you'd hope that they would avoid contracting it. But so many players and teams have been affected. It's hard to it's hard to know really. It's hard. You can't. You just can't plan for it. You just have to, um, you know, wait and see and hope hope for the best. Um, in terms of England's international players, yeah, as as I mentioned earlier in the pod, you know, I think that some Villa fans will be looking at at these next few days, hoping that England do wrap Grealish and Mings up um, and hope that they don't pick up any injuries because the problem Villa have got is if they pick up one or two injuries, there's not much in reserve to come and replace them and and you feel like they're going to be severely weakened after that. I mean, McGinn's had a very busy schedule with Scotland, hasn't he? Louise and Martinez are away in South America. Trezeguet and Traore out in Africa, so... Um, you know, that Dean Smith will be uh, hoping that they all come back unscathed. And, and um, if Philip can name the same starting team for the game against Brighton as they've done in, in previous weeks, uh, they'll fancy the chances.
0: Yeah, almost forgot to to mention Scotland qualifying for, for the Euros, but with John McGinn part of that setup, absolutely massive for him. How, how pleased are you for McGinn?
1: Yeah, fantastic. You know, and, it, and it's 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 a great achievement for McGinn because you know he's on this incredible journey himself that that we sometimes forget as well. You know, it was only it was only four or five years ago that he was getting rejected. I think it was five years ago that he was struggling to find a club. You know, he was at Saint Mirren and and didn't know where he was his career was going. He, he admitted that. He didn't think he was good enough for, for any Scottish Premier League club to co- uh, to come and take him. Hibernian did did in the end and he helped them to promotion and then uh, you know, t- to win the cup and then Villa signed him and then Villa got promoted, then he had a good season in the Premier League and he look, you know, now he's on the verge of being in a team that's, that could potentially top the Premier League table, albeit for just a short period. Um and he's the captain of his country, so It's an incredible journey that he's on. He's still quite young himself and it just feels like all these Villa players are slowly developing now into really talented, uh, fully-fledged internationals as well. And there's so many years ahead of them, so it's quite exciting times.
0: Remember that right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound and you can read all Greg's articles on the Villa and, and so much more. So just go to theathletic.com slash VillaPod, sign up to that. That's athletic.com VillaPod and you can sign up for just a pound. I mean, me and you were going to have a bit of a brainstorming session, weren't we? And I, I went away and had some thoughts about maybe potential articles and you'll be surprised to learn I've come up with absolutely nothing, Greg. So I'll get my thinking hat on and we'll be back with ne- next week's edition of 1874 as well. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time off, mate. Enjoy it.